Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. We are considering a new study for our evening services, though it's really a culmination of what we had considered in Ephesians, but of the being ready for the battle, and that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, that there is a battle that is raging. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. We're going to start in the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter. John chapter 18. And do we have that slide ready to go? If we, you can't find it? Do you need my flash drive again? We loaded it up and I have it all in my notes, but you're, if you're shaking notes, you're going to be writing it much quicker. They will help you. If you need this, you can come get it. It's a rather depressing question. In fact, it's a cynical question. And you wonder what might have caused the person to ask such a pessimistic and distrusting question and outlook. You know, maybe he had hardened himself and been hardened by the perpetual sob stories that had been heard, the constant falsehoods, the confrontation with one problem after another and trying to figure it out. Possibly he had observed the calculated misuse of the law by the person who was supposed to be using it. The religious leaders that had been misapplying things. Or possibly it was he had just grown scornful and sarcastic about the entire political scene. They had just been done with it. But whatever the case, the question that we find recorded for us here in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, reveals the moral relativism of the person who asked it. The question, what is truth? And what we see is really a, a vulgar relativism that, while we see it in our culture today, it's nothing new. I want us to look at the context of this and consider the question that, that is asked. Most of us are familiar with this. But contemplate what this means and then how that applies to the aspect of the armor I want us to consider this evening. Look with me beginning in, in verse 37 of John 18. It says, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And then he said this, and when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. What is truth? The, it's an interesting question. Jesus responds to Pilate's first question, are you a king? And he says, in essence, absolutely, you are right, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
In fact, in, in verse 36, he had already stated that the, his kingdom was not of this world. He had come to, he came to reveal the Father, not to lead a revolution. He came as a teacher, not as a traitor. He came to proclaim the truth, not to promote treason. And as Pilate hears this, this aspect that really Jesus' life mi mission was to testify of the truth. I have come to bear witness to the truth, Jesus responded. He said, everyone who hears the truth, who hears me, they, those that hear me are going to hear the truth. And it's that context in which Pilate, the cynic, asks his question, what is truth? He doesn't ask, what is the truth? That, that would indicate that he believed there was truth. But he just didn't know what it was. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm in the, the court. I'm sitting as, as the judge in this case. And, and I'm trying to figure out what is the truth. But that wasn't his question. He, he doesn't ask that. No, he asks, what is truth? That's really a completely different question. And it's a different matter. It's almost like Pilate is saying, truth. You don't really believe there is such a thing, do you? Pilate, it appears, had given up on absolute truth. And when that happens, it's easy to make decisions that are expedient. What's the political thing to do at the moment? What is, what is the best thing for me at the moment? What's politically correct? He goes out and says, I find him innocent. He, he acknowledged the innocence of Jesus, but he didn't let him go. Because that wasn't the politically expedient thing to do. And if you're not tied to truth, you do what's best for you. It wouldn't have been wise politically to let Jesus go because that would rile the Jews even more when they first brought him to Pilate. As you read earlier in this passage, they, he, they bring him and he says, well, what's he done? And they said, well, if he was innocent, we wouldn't have brought him. That actually wasn't Pilate's question. They said, he, he, we wouldn't have brought him if he was innocent. And he said, well, then you judge him. They said, well, our law doesn't allow us to put somebody to death. We, we can't do that. And, and so when he comes, Pilate is, is in a cynical state. Jesus is innocent. But if an innocent person has to die to keep the peace and for him to keep his position, so be it. If, that's, if it's a matter of convenience, then it's going to happen. You know, Pilate would really fit right in with our modern thinking today. He, he would fit right in in Washington today. What's truth? Hey, we'll, we'll do what's expedient. Because when a person loses faith in the fact that there is absolute truth, then the only standard by which a person's actions are measured is, is what's expedient or what's politically correct. You know, what's, what's for the greater good? Might makes right. The end justifies the means. What provides the greatest pleasure? What the, brings the most freedom? These are the philosophies of our world. And we have to understand that we have to guard against adopting these as Christians. Because even if something is morally wrong, if it's politically correct in our culture, it's accepted. We have politicians rather than statesmen. 
and, and it was very evident, it's evident regularly, but it was evident in Washington this last week when, when Congress passed a bill requiring doctors to seek to save the life of a baby that when a, an abortion fails and that baby is born alive, that the doctor ought to be obligated to save that life. And 210 of our representatives voted against that. And they were all in one party. Only one from that party voted in favor of saving the life of that child. Now, expediency, convenience, that, that's the American culture today. And understanding that when, when you really don't believe in truth, then everything is up for grabs. But what we need to understand is that truth is the central matter. That, and, and we're going to look at this, that nothing in life works unless it is true. I mean, you can have your truth, I can have my truth, but when it really comes, if you're getting a prescription filled, you want it filled according to what is right, not what some pharmacist feels like might be right. You know, when you get a recipe, you, you want to follow that accurately. That, that there's an important aspect. Someone's preparing that. You want the proper ingredients and you want the pr proper pr proportions. I heard of a correction that was put in the, the food section the, of, a, of a newspaper because they were trying to correct a recipe that had been printed. And it said this, that there was a misprint in the recipe previously given. It should be two jalapeno peppers, not 21, as was printed. You know, that difference matters. Now, some of you may enjoy 21, <laughs> but you want it to be correct. What is truth? Well, truth conforms to reality. Jesus Christ came to testify of the truth, that, that truth is what God has said or would say about any subject. Those who are of the truth follow his voice. They hear him and follow him. That, that God's word is central to the truth. That, that God is central to the truth. Therefore, we need to know his word. Because if we don't have a compass, we're going to be lost. And especially in this moral, relativistic culture in which we live. Because then we'll just, well, what is truth? See, absolute truth is vital to life. It's critical to deal with the schemes of the devil. It's a necessary part of, of our armor. And so we have to know the truth. And we have to love the truth. To put on the belt of truth, this is foundational. This is understandable. This is where it begins. And, and as we see this in Ephesians, we understand that that's the first element. The first element of the, the believer's armor is is to put on that belt of truth. In Ephesians 6, verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And understanding the importance of this, it's, a, it's an interesting aspect. As, as we take the whole armor, the Greek word, the panoply of God, the whole armor of God. So as we sang of panoply, it's, it, it's, Wesley used the Greek term in the song. It's taking all of the armor. Well, the first piece that we're to take is, is the belt. And, and it's interesting that the armor that's listed, we, we're to get spiritually dressed in a certain order. That we, we find this here, that, that it begins with truth, the belt of truth. Stand therefore, 
with your waist girded with this belt. Why start with the belt? I mean, that, for us, that, that, you know, if we're getting dressed, that's not where we're going to start. But understand for the Roman soldier, they're not wearing camouflage pants and shirts. They're wearing a loose garment. It's not a form-fitting. It's not going to be tight. It's not going to have cuffs and sleeves and a waistband. It's this, long, this free-flowing garment. And the belt is going to pull that in. The belt is going to be a wide, it's heavy, it's leather. It, it's a, a belt where they would have a, a sheath for the knife that would be fastened to it. It, it would be there for hand-to-hand combat, and we'll be looking at the sword in, a, in coming weeks. But he would be able to grab that if the foe is close. It was also used to fasten the breastplate that is mentioned further on in verse 14. And we're not looking at the entire verse this evening, but the next piece being the breastplate of righteousness, it would be connected, it would be fastened to the belt so that there's a, there's a security here. And understanding that for us as believers, having the truth is central to our being armed for the battle because of the, the character of our foe. That, that having this is vital. This is an, an important aspect. And, and recognizing that every piece of armor is going to tell us something about our adversary. As you look at the various pieces of armor, as you read through, and you can read the, the, these few verses there in Ephesians 6, what we're to have as armor is an indicator of our adversary. So if we're to put on the belt of truth, what does that tell us about Satan's schemes? He's a liar. That, that he is dishonest. That Satan will appeal to our, to our sinful, rebellious nature in encouraging us to, as it says in Romans chapter 1, to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In fact, it goes on in that passage in Romans 1 to say they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And, and we see that as, as they rejected the glory of the incorruptible God... And, and rather adopted the likeness of man and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And in that, you have three worldviews. You have theism, the belief in the true God. You have humanism, the belief in man. And pantheism, in nature, four-footed beasts and creeping things. And, and all of this. And if you understand a person's worldview, you'll have an idea of where they're going to land on various aspects. It really, now, now we live in a culture where nobody's really consistent to their worldview. There's a lot of eclectic worldviews who will pick, take a little bit of humanism over here and pantheism over here and throw in a little of theism over there and, and make your own religion. And we see a lot of that. But understanding that this is what we're speaking of, that Satan's idea was to reject God and have men trust themselves and then adopt the, the philosophy of pantheism. And, we, and I, and I say, say this because we are living in a Romans 1 culture today. I mean, the, the things that are being taught in, in schools, the things that are being promoted, the, 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 really the deviancy, where does this come from? They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Therefore, God's given them up, given them over to work all sorts of wickedness. And what we see in our culture is we have barbarians framing their evil with law. 
So they're legislating immorality. They're legislating wickedness. And to stand against that, we're going to end up needing to be equipped and recognizing this. That because Satan preys on those who are weak and in their weakness. Sometimes it's people who are weighed down with sin. Therefore, to be able to reject the truth is actually acceptable. See, if, if you understand, if you believe, as the Bible teaches, that God is the creator, then there are creator rights. And there's accountability. And so, when the idea of evolution comes in, then there's no creator. Therefore, there's no judge. There's no accountability. And there's no distinctiveness in humanity. We're just an evolved form of life. No different than others, maybe just a little further along the, the evolutionary process. And when that happens, it opens up because then there's no absolute morality. And so when people are laden down with sin, they're looking for ways to deal with that. And if it's not through Jesus' blood and righteousness, then it's how do we push that aside? So it says in 2 Timothy, in fact, let me have you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because it's actually, it's talking about how this takes place. And understanding the rejection of truth and not being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3, it's talking about end times, the perilous times, that what's coming, men are going to be lovers of themselves, uh, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parent, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. I mean, is this not the current events? Is this not our, our culture? Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and despisers of good. Traitors, heady, high, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But there's a form of godliness. And it says, turn away from this kind of person. Why? Because what's going to happen? And verse 6 says, For of these people, for of this sort are those who creep into houses and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Saying, in the end times, when all of this is caving in, all of this is happening around us and in our culture, understanding there are going to be neurotic women, possibly depressed by a load of guilt because of sin, who want a religion but don't want to give up their sin. They don't want to know the one who is truth. It says, ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of truth. That's our culture. That's the world in which we live. Because the message of Satan appeals to our flesh. And Satan's methods are very persuasive. That, well, you can have this and this. And Satan succeeds because fallen people want what he offers. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 22, it speaks of the deceitful desires, lying lusts. Jim Berg spoke of us all having designer lusts. That in our rebelliousness, it shows up in various ways, but each of us have our own way. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The, the temptations are common, but there are unique aspects. And so sometimes we may see somebody involved in a sin and say, well, I don't see how anybody could do that. Well, that's just because that's not our designer lust. We struggle in other areas. 
And if we understand how we struggle, then we can understand how they struggle, even though it may not be the same temptation. And when we recognize that, then we need to be aware that Satan is a deceiver. That there's a wickedness in our hearts, and, and when we sin, we're drawn away of our own desires. Because Satan is offering that lure that catches our eye. And if there's no God, there's no accountability. There's no judge, there's no judgment. If there's no judge, there's no absolute standard of right and wrong. So what is truth? And then there's no dignity to humanity because we're not made in the image of God. And that's why the, the abortion debate and say, well, why can't we come to the same knowledge? Because we're starting with different premises. And when we understand the dignity of, of humans made in the image of God and, and that life begins at conception, there's a difference between human life and animal life. Then we understand that we're not going to come to an agreement with those who don't accept that. But that's the truth. That God created man in his own image. In the image of God made he them male and female. That settles the gender issue. So all of the confusion comes because of the lies of Satan. That absolute truth is important because when we consider the character of our enemy, he's a liar. We see this, that he's a liar from the beginning. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus, and he's speaking to religious people at the time, he says, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. So the devil was a liar from the beginning. He lied in the garden, he lied to Adam and Eve, he lied to himself thinking he would be as God and was cast out of heaven as we looked at last week in Isaiah and Ezekiel, that battle that was taking place. But he's the father of lies. He wants us to think that sin isn't that bad. And he succeeds with fallen, fallen people because in our humanness, in our sinfulness, we like what is offered. It's that deceitfulness of sin. So he wants to make us comfortable with sin, that we're tolerant. How does that happen? He gets us to laugh at sin through entertainment, through comedy, through movies, to be entertained by sin that really is not funny, it's evil. He wants us drowning in a sea of, of, of sins so that we become comfortable with it. And that's why, as we sang this morning, we have to take time to be holy. Nobody gets holy by accident. We don't just trip into holiness. And especially in this evil day, having done everything to stand. He wants to twist our thinking so that we defend and promote sin, that we laugh at sin, that, that we'll, we'll defend it, and, and then actually question those who are trying to promote righteousness. And, and we've talked about this with our staff of how important it is with our young people, our children, that we constantly be putting before them, what, what does the Bible say? about biblical manhood and womanhood, about gender, about sex, about purity. Because of the wickedness of our culture, he wants to confuse our emotions so that so there's a sympathy with sin and when we hear the truth, we you know, well that doesn't quite feel right. Well, that doesn't sound quite loving. 
No, the most loving thing is to tell somebody the truth because God is truth. But Satan wants our attractions to be on the wrong side so that we're not attracted by the right things. In fact, it says in Revelation 12, verse 9, that Satan's ability to deceive in a lying way will deceive the whole world in that tribulation time. But Satan succeeds because he gives fallen people what they offer. Why, why is this such a serious issue? Because God hates lying. In Proverbs 6, it says, These six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to, unto him. A proud look, and number two is a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devised wicked plans. Feet that are swift to run to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And the one who sows discord among the brethren. So out of the six, two of them have to do with lying. Because God is truth. And understanding that, if, if, there's a, if he is truth, then what God says is true. And that's why we have to put on the belt. That's why we have to be equipped because there is a battle raging. And immature Christians are going to fall prey to the sleight of hands, the tricks of men. We, we read that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. In fact, that's the context of the armor of God is the danger of being deceived and not being tossed about by every doctrinal wind that blows. It's not just a problem out in the world, it's a problem that creeps into churches. And that's why we have to know the truth. We can't have a superficial understanding and expect to stand in a wicked day. No, if we don't know God's word, if we don't know the book, it's going to be very difficult to be equipped by wearing the belt. You have to know the book to wear the belt. Because God's given us the truth. You know, God hates lying. Those, those that lie are, are really following the characteristic of the devil. And that's what John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil because you're, he was a liar from the beginning. It's a characteristic of unbelievers in Ephesians chapter 4. And the Bible tells us liars will receive eternal damnation. One of the, the sobering verses is in Revelation 21, verse 8, but, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with, burn, the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Isn't it interesting that the all is put on the word liars? We might say, well, all murderers deserve that. All, but understanding there's a character of siding with the devil. And, and it's speaking of those that this is their character, the character of a person, that, that there's an ingrained, and, but do we not see that in our culture? That people lie with such ease and aren't even concerned about it? We need to have the truth to filter the information that we receive. That it goes through that, that we're no longer tossed to and fro, carried by, by various winds of doctrine, the, the trickery of men, the cunning and plodding that comes. But speaking the truth in love, we would grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. 
that immature people are easily deceived. That's why we have to be maturing. We have to be growing. So why is the truth so important? What does it do for us? Well, there are several things. Number one, biblical truth is what saves. It's in, that's how we come to a saving knowledge of the Lord. In Him you also trusted when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. The, the tremendous doctrine in the hymn, as Pastor Dave pointed out, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. There, there is so much doctrine in that. It's not just his death, that blood, it's his righteousness. It's his perfect life. He had, we have to have both. Well, that's the, that's the truth. That's the gospel of salvation. In 2 Thessalonians 2.10, that with all unrighteousness and deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Do you think our culture loves the truth? No, they, they love opinion. I mean, everybody's opinion is, is prominent. But it, it's much more like Pilate, what is, what's truth? Not what is the truth. I mean, we're taught new faith systems, and this was the whole thing with, with evolution. Well, you know, trust the science, but don't question science. Well, isn't that the scientific method to ask questions? See, we, we, we live in a culture where that's been twisted into a faith system rather than true science. Biblical truth is what saves. Biblical truth is what sets us free. In John 8, thou, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Or in 2 Timothy, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth that they would come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And, and this is frustrating. Sometimes you try to tell somebody the truth and they just keep rejecting it. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but my human tendency is, well, then forget it. But actually, that's when we have to be patient to realize they are captured by the father of lies. And so we continue to give the truth in humility, correcting them, with the hope that God will grant them repentance. Because it's, it's the truth that sets free. Biblical truth is what sanctifies. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Speaking the truth in love, that we would grow up into maturity. That there would be that mature faith. And speaking the truth to those who will heed the truth. And that brings maturity. I've said before, but one of the blessings, one of the privileges, I counted a delight to be able to pastor Tri-City Baptist Church because you want to hear the truth. And I've said many times that my responsibility is to preach the word in season and out of season. But it's so much more fun to do it in season. There's a joy of, of sharing the truth with people who have a heart for it. Because we all grow that way. Because it's the truth that sanctifies. Speaking the truth to those who will heed it really is what brings maturity for all of us. And we grow in that area. Biblical truth also strengthens us to stand. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, there are several verses that in His power He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How do we get what we need for life and godliness? Through the knowledge of Him who's called us to glory and virtue. And so we're to give diligence, to add to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge. And I, I do think the order here is important. That they're beginning with the virtue of making right moral choices. Because if, if we just have knowledge and not virtue, then we're just smarter sinners. We could get more creative in our, in our choices and our excuses. And then it, it goes on in verse 12. For this reason I will not neglect to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So not only do we need to know the truth, we have to be reminded of it. That's why we come together. And, and how much more we need that as the wickedness increases. And then the truth secures. And in Psalm 119, as we are, are going through that in the, the morning services, but here's this longest psalm about the Word of God. How can a young man cleanse his way? How can, how can I live a pure life? How can I live purely in a wicked world? By taking heed according to your Word. Then there's that wholehearted seeking. With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And what we'll see, that is the sword of the Spirit, taking the sword. We'll look at that in, in coming weeks. But the importance of that, because that's how we get a hold of the truth as well. That, that we have to be studious. That we have to study the word. That as our children memorize 2 Timothy 2.15, Study, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed because he's rightly handling, accurately handling the word of truth. We have to handle the word properly so that we will not be disapproved. To be approved workmen, we have to be in the word. And then understanding as well, not only does the Bible secure us, God's word satisfies there's a satisfaction that comes. It's interesting, Psalm 119, the longest psalm, speaks of that. Psalm 19 also speaks of the revelation of God. It begins with general revelation and creation, but then it continues on in the special creation of the Word. The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. And, and there's synonyms being used here. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It brings us wisdom, God's perspective on our life. The, the statutes of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. There's a satisfaction. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is, is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They're, they're more desirable than gold even fine gold and sweeter than honey in the honeycomb the sweetest thing they could think of at that time and moreover by them is your servant warned and keeping them there's great reward what does our world pursue money and pleasure and the psalmist said God's word is worth more it brings more value than pure gold fine gold or that honey that that sweetness of it and so understanding why is the truth so important because it does these things for us. It saves, it sets us free, it sanctifies, it, it makes us pure, it gives us the strength for the battle. It keeps us secure, and it brings that satisfaction in life. 
And so when we think of the belt of truth, we have to ask, are, are we known as a truthful person? Do we, have we trusted Christ personally? Do we confess our sin, that we keep short accounts, that when, when we're in God's Word and we're convicted, I, I failed, and I failed today and I'll fail tomorrow, but we confess our sins because He's faithful and righteous to forgive us. We seek to be holy like the God of truth. He calls us to that. Be holy as I am holy. And we strive to guard our integrity, that we would be people of, of truth, that we strive to keep our word. So we, we, we're wearing that belt of truth. We, we have to know the truth. We have to love the truth by loving the God of truth, by loving the word of truth, by walking in what we do know, and then, as we talked about this morning, sharing the gospel. And when we talk about the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we'll see how as we share the truth, it actually helps us in the battle. There's, a, there's another level of our being strengthened in the battle. So the, the question we have to ask then is, do we know it? Do we know the truth? Do we love it? And are we living it? Are we seeking to, to live that we, we cannot, as believers, be passive or apathetic because the battle is raging? That Satan is coming for us and for our children and for our grandchildren. So we have to be alert. We have to be wearing the, the belt of truth. And that's really the question for all of us. Are we equipped? Have we put on that belt that we would be able to stand? Yes, there is absolute truth. It conforms to who God is and what God has said and what God would say. And so when we hear the lies of the world, we have to be ready to give answer for the hope that lies in us. And we get equipped by being in the Word of God. That we would know the truth because it does set us free. There's a joy, there's a delight. And there's, there really is that strength for the battle. So how are you doing this evening in wearing the belt of truth? Let's pray together.